It was October 29th. 2014, this ball of dirt is hurling around the sun at a frightening pace, is it not? Did Could you imagine that we were one day going to stand and say it's 2015? Is that insane? I mean, what happened to Y2K? I remember when we were singing about partying like it's 1999. That was so a couple decades ago. I want to share with you tonight a short message. Thank you for not applauding. Because my heart's desire is that in sharing this, it would be kind of like an orientation. And that when the orientation is over, we would have a clearing of the runway. Get all of our announcements, all of our children, all of our water breaks, all of that out of the way. And then in worship, we would take the 747 that is this church, get it off of the ground and soar in our experience with the King of Kings. My desire is not to preach about the king when we could actually fellowship with the king. I love preaching that causes you to want to fellowship with him. I love to learn about him if it causes you to be inspired to meet with him. But I don't want to take time to read a menu if I can eat the meal. Having said that, our message tonight starts with the word soldier. When I say even the word soldier, you probably get a mental image in your mind. It is probably largely shaped based on the country that you've spent the most time in and the uniforms that they wear. The scripture is replete with examples of loyalty, perseverance in adversity, unity, reward. When we consider scriptures like these that we're going to, I want you to consider the way in which soldiers often exemplify those traits. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend shows his friendship at all times. It is for adversity that such a brother is born. I put the complete Jewish translation on the top and the amplified on the bottom. A friend loves at all times. And is born as is a brother for adversity. I did this because very often when we read scriptures like this, our Western mind wants to set them in positions against each other. A friend shows friendship at all times, but a brother, that is not what this scripture is sharing at all. A friend loves at all times and is born as is a brother for adversity. When someone shares friendship with you in Christ, they become like a family member. The idea that blood is thicker than water is a pagan idea. It is a bad idea, a wrong idea. Jesus himself said his mother, his brothers were those who did the will of God. So the only thing that is thicker than water, so to speak, is obedience to Christ. And when we're in situations where our obedience is tested and we stand firm, brothers are born in that. You might consider a scripture like this one. Look at 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and start with me in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is on the topic of loyalty, perseverance in adversity, unity and reward. The men that we admire in the faith endured much for the faith. And they stood with others who endured much for the faith. And that created a bond that is not easily broken. Somebody say amen. Amen. There may be no better exemplification of these ideals than the biblical soldier. And they come in two categories. There are actually soldiers in the Bible that are soldiers by profession. And then we have what I would call a spiritual soldier or the soldier metaphor. Let me start with an actual soldier. Go with me to Matthew 8 and say there when there. Are y'all awake this evening? Did you mean it when you prayed and said, Lord, we want to meet with you tonight? Oh, I mean it. I mean it with all of my heart. I founded this church at his request. And I want to be the first to tell you the day that we do not meet with him in here, this church has no purpose. We cannot be so attached to our ritual that we forget what the rituals were designed to do. In Matthew 8, starting in verse verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Kephar Nahum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Say terrible suffering. Do you get motivated when you are suffering terribly? Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. What does that say about our king? He desires to alleviate suffering. He's not indifferent to it. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I will tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Does it sound like this man's job affected his spiritual life? Does it sound like he had an understanding based on the way he saw the world that helped him understand the kingdom of God. Could there be an advantage in being a soldier then? When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What a compliment to pay a soldier. Do you know how the soldiers would have been thought of that were Roman in first century Israel? They were brutal. They were the oppressors. They were the enemy there to enforce the tax collector's will to impose his will on you. And Jesus pays him an enormous compliment. And why? Because he understood that when an order was given, the order had to be obeyed. That's a quality that a soldier has. That's a beautiful quality, is it not? I'd like to contrast that, or at least at the, at the very least, Have you consider it along with this? Turn to the book of Philemon. When you get to Philemon, we're going to slide our finger down to the very beginning of the book. Say there when you were there. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, 
to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Do you think that Archippus was actually a soldier? This would be the metaphorical kind of soldier, the spiritual soldier. The reason that he's called a fellow soldier is because Paul had a certain view of our relationship to Jesus now that we were in the kingdom. He has to remind Archippus in his only other mention in the scripture, turn to the book of Colossians. When you get to the book of Colossians, find the fourth chapter. Say there when you were there, let me know you're with me. In the fourth chapter of Colossians, look at the 17th verse. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Archippus is called a fellow soldier, but he has to be reminded, the orders I gave you, I meant them. You do it. In the name of Jesus, get it done. He wrote this in the eternal word of God. So is it better to be a natural soldier or is it better to be a spiritual soldier? One of the real problems with being a spiritual soldier is we think ourselves a soldier sometimes and not other times. We obey orders when we like them and we disobey them when we don't like them. We obey them when we feel our commanding present, uh, commanding officer present and we disobey them when we feel him far away. Maybe one of the largest obstacles to people's faith is the idea that you are closer to the kingdom of God when you stand in a building that represents Him than when you stand alone in your house being His very temple. I think it's good that when we look at soldiers, we recognize the command structure is in place whether they're asleep or awake. The command structure is in place whether they feel good or don't feel good. Whether they're in good health or in poor health, whether they stand on foreign soil or domestic soil, when a command is given, the command must be obeyed. The soldier in Matthew 8 understood that. And what did Jesus call it? Great faith. What does it say when we don't obey orders? Do all soldiers receive the same order? Is it fair that those on the front line get shot at first? while those in the back are protected by the very lives of those in the front. Is that fair? You either trust your commanding officer or you do not trust your commanding officer. This is a matter of faith. Spiritual soldiers and natural soldiers have differences among us. How about this actual soldier? Look at Luke 3 and verse 14. Say there when you were there. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Can we say that these men were actually soldiers? That their employment was soldiers? I think so. I think we're not dealing with a metaphor. We're not dealing with a spiritual application. There were soldiers who came to Jesus and were worried that their job might conflict with the kingdom Jesus was preaching about. He didn't tell them not to be soldiers. He told them, be content with your pay. Is it better to be a natural soldier or a spiritual soldier? Why don't we do this then? Look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 25. Say there when you were there. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. 
fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Epaphroditus, do you believe that his occupation was a soldier? Or is he simply being likened unto a soldier? For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. In our first example, Matthew 8, we had an actual soldier that followed orders and he understood the kingdom of God had to be that way. We contrasted that or at the very least compared it with Archippus who had to be reminded to follow his orders. In this case, we have a natural soldier in Luke 14, 314, that has to be reminded to be content with his pay. But you can contrast that with Epaphroditus, who not only was content with whatever he was receiving, he almost died to bring Paul what Paul needed. Is it better to be a natural soldier or a spiritual soldier? Because this one went above and beyond. And even the Apostle Paul said you should honor Men like this. You have time for one more. Perhaps we might look at someone like Cornelius. Turn with me to Acts 10. When you reach Acts 10, finding verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. What is Cornelius' job? He's a soldier. He receives word from God. And in verse 7, it says, When the angel spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. If Cornelius works for Rome, if Cornelius has soldiers under him, and one of them is a devout soldier, What on earth is he doing going on a religious mission? Well, his boss told him to do it. Is it in the interest of Rome that he goes? Probably the devout soldier doesn't care at all because his commanding officer told him to do it. This reminds me of 2 Timothy. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. We'll be in the second chapter, starting in verse 3. Say, there when there. When Paul is speaking with those he loves, he very often resorts to the word soldier. Apparently, he held them in high honor. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. It's not a question of either or. It's not a question of our natural soldiers. 
better than spiritual soldiers? Or are spiritual soldiers better than natural soldiers? I have heard Christians speak of other Christians in military terms. That one is a soldier for Jesus Christ and seen military men get offended. I've also seen Christians be offended at the very idea that a Christian could be a military man. Some crisis of conscience. Finding conflict in the words of Jesus and the duties of a soldier. Tonight I want to tell you about a regiment of soldiers where the metaphor meets the reality. I say it's not either or, why not and in both? I say it's not either or, just a high ideal to be lived up to or a lowly job to find yourself in. Why not both? Many of you may not know where Sebast is, but I was just in Istanbul. And it turns out that in eastern Turkey, there was a town called Sebast. And in about the year 300, In 20, there was an event there that men are still writing and telling stories about to this day. We're learning from a man named St. Basil. St. Basil lived from the year 330 to 379 A.D. He was a pastor, then called bishop in Caesarea. He has a sermon on some events in 320 in Sebast, that has survived to this day. He was alive within 50 years and preaching within 50 to 60 years of the actual event. It can be corroborated from several sources in history. St. Basil, a man of God, preached a message recorded to this day. And it is about a time period where a man named Lucinius was ruling the eastern half of the Roman Empire. Before we get into Lucinius, you need to know who was ruling the western half of the Roman Empire. A man named Constantine, who achieved the title of Pontificus Maximus on October 28, 312 A.D., had the other half of the empire. Rome was split during these days. There was a battle at Malvern Bridge where it is said that Constantine looked into the sky and saw the words in Latin, in hoc signio verses. By this sign, you shall conquer. He goes on to win his battle, and in 313, he issues an edict of toleration. The edict of toleration says this, we have been killing Christians for three centuries, and it has not stopped the growth of Christianity. There may be something to these people's religion. My personal opinion is that Constantine was never a Christian, but that is just my personal opinion. His rival in life was a man named Lucinius. And he ruled all of the areas that Constantine was unable to conquer. But for a short time, these two men agreed on the Edict of Toleration. It would be best for Rome to stop oppressing these people. We can move on to other things. We have more pressing concerns. Lucinius agreed, and they had a compact between them. The thing is, is that Lucinius 
had no idea how many actual Christians there were. See, Christians had been meeting in underground places. And when they were caught, they were flayed alive. They were burned at the stake. They were put in gloomy dungeons. And they were fed to beasts. And now that they were officially protected in the sense that they were allowed to be tolerated, they were coming out of the woodworks. And when Lucinius got an idea of their real numbers, he broke his compact with Constantine. And he decided that he needed to persecute these people. In the year 320, because of a fear of rebellion, he appoints a man named Agricola to go to Turkey and identify the Christians in the town of Sabas. It turns out that as he is offering people the chance to renounce Christ. Most of the legions had no problem doing so. Their allegiance to Jesus was superficial and political. But there was one legion, Legio the Twelfth, Fulminata. Fulminata is Latin for they come with lightning. Proudly stood up and said, we will not renounce our love for Jesus Christ. The reason that we were named Fulminata, we come with lightning, is because we win. And the reason that we win is because we pray before we go into battle. We call upon the King who has saved us and say, Lord, if this cause is just, we're asking that you would deliver us. And we have fought many battles and he has delivered us many times. We cannot deny him now. So they tried at first to bribe Legio Fulminata. And they were unable to get them to compromise. Forty in particular of the most valiant soldiers stood and they gave this response when bribery returned to torture. These Christian soldiers were offered money and honors in order to induce them to join the ranks of the heathen. Then came threats of indescribable tortures. And here was the answer the soldiers gave. Do you have blessings of equal value to those you endeavor to deprive us of? Can you give us what we would have to give up to choose you over our Jesus? We hate your gift because it means our loss. We do not accept honor, which is the mother of dishonesty. You offer us money, which remains here. Glory, which fades away. We have despised the whole world. Those things we see in the world, we do not have for us the value of the heavenly things which we hope and long for. We are afraid of only one punishment. The punishment of the fires of hell. We are ready for your torture. You may twist our bodies and you may burn them. We stand ready. On themes of loyalty, perseverance and adversity, unity and reward. Are you beginning to feel their inspiration? The judge was infuriated by the courage of these brave Christians and so he devised a slow and most painful way of putting them 
to death. You see, Agricola had been a part of earlier times. They had seized Christians in other places. And they had lit them on fire. And as the flesh fell off of the bones, they witnessed those Christians singing hymns. They had burned them with hot irons. And seen that that did not turn them away, they had fed them to lions and seen that that did not discourage them. So Agricola came up with a different idea. There is a pond outside of this town and it was frozen over because it was winter. Perhaps dying by fire is too quick. Let's let the whole town watch these 40 go out onto the ice, stripped naked. And as they one by one turn away from Jesus, then the whole town will be convinced because it takes a lot longer to freeze to death than it does to burn to death. Agricola was inventive, if nothing else. I don't think he had planned on the response of the soldiers. He had hoped to strip them. He had hoped to have to forcibly drive them out onto the ice. But as each soldier went, They took off their own garments, walked in unison and said, we are not merely putting off our clothes tonight. We are putting off the old man, which is corrupt according to its deceitful lusts. Can you imagine how angry Agricola must have been when he not only heard somebody quote Ephesians 4.22, he saw them living it out. They encouraged each other. One account says they held hands with these words. Let us persevere a little longer and we shall be warmed in the bosom of Christ. As they arrived in the center of the ice, their feet began to stick to it. As they rocked back and forth, trying to keep warm from the cold, The skin on their feet tore because it was stuck to the ice. So now the blood covered the ice. It's reported that a witness overheard one of the soldiers telling the others, friends, we were ordained to be friends in this life, this very temporary life. Let's not let us now be separated for an eternity. We must stand Agricola saw their courage and he got an idea. He had large tubs of water brought to the edge of the ice and heated a jacuzzi of sorts. And they built fires at the edge of the ice so that the soldiers in their suffering could see the relief in the distance. And then they brought out food and began to have a banquet One of the men in the 40, overcome by his desire to warm himself, overcome by his desire to appease his own flesh, yielded and became reprobate. As he left the center of the circle, venturing for the hot bath, trudging upon the ice 
to get to the food and the warmth of the fire. He fell dead before he reached the shore. And one of the soldiers remembered Matthew 10 and 22. Would you put it on the screen, please? All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the 39 began to pray together. And as they began to pray, it said that they recited Psalm 53. Let us read it together now. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not even one. Will the evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread and do not call on God. And with this very scripture, they began to call upon the Lord to help them stand. They just saw their brother fall. Fall eternally. Fall in the flesh, yes, but fall in the spirit even more so. They saw his life consumed like bread. And they asked God that they would have the strength to stand. Eyewitness accounts say that two things began to happen. As the 39 faithful remained in the center of the ice, freezing to death, a light appeared above their heads. And the men felt themselves strangely warmed while they were dying. But it's what the men saw on the shore that is really the most interesting. When one of the Roman soldiers who was assigned to make sure that they did not leave the ice saw that the men were overcoming their agony, when they saw that the cowardness of the man who turned away and the courage of the men who stayed, convinced by the sincerity of their position, he said he saw what appeared to be crowns on top of the 39 men's heads. And he began to strip off his clothes and say, I receive Christ. And he joined them as they sang and they prayed on the ice that day. Oh, friends, will you be crowned? Alagleus is what the man's name was that found Jesus hours from his death because he was willing to be stripped and frozen to death because he admired the courage of those who stood for their faith. I wish I could tell you that there was a divine deliverance. I can't. I can say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And Alagleus, along with his 39 friends, froze to the death on the ice that night. But it was noted by Basil when preaching that God had ordained 40 martyrs 
And even when one fell away, he was big enough to replace him with a 40th. And he got his offering that night. Turkey remained Christian despite Rome's best efforts until our times. Today, Turkey is Muslim because Christians have often lost their courage. The enemy desires to eat your life like bread. And I want to talk to you about bread. Turn with me to Exodus 25. Say there when you are there. I want to ask you to think about those soldiers. If you think it's just church lore, myth, prestigious publications of our day, such as Voices of the Martyrs, have printed and reprinted this story. It has been told in Christian history since the year 500 repetitively. And the eyewitness account dates as close as the Gospels date to the life of Jesus. Do you have problem believing it? I have no problem believing it. The issue is, would we live it? In Exodus 25, I'd like to turn your attention to verse 30. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. There would be a bread in the tabernacle of Moses. There would be a bread in the temple of Solomon. A bread that represented the very presence of God. I'd like to tell you today that when we endure in suffering, when we as good soldiers of Jesus Christ stand with our brothers in tribulation, when men see the sincerity of our faith, we are putting the bread of His presence in the temple for the world to see today. Turn with me to Philippians 3.10. In Philippians, we find this verse. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. There is a fellowship in suffering that brings the presence of God. There is an inspiration in loyalty, in suffering for the cause of Christ that wins converts. Men like John Gibson Patton heard the call of Jesus at the age of 16, gave his life in the Hebride Islands, today called Vanuatu. What was the call that he heard, you ask? Brothers, friends, missionaries arrived on the shore of the islands two years before John Gibson Patton's 16th birthday. 
and they were killed and eaten. And Jesus Christ spoke to John Gibson Patton on his 16th birthday and said, My blood and theirs has purchased those islands. See, church, there's a fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. In the Catholic world, in the Orthodox world, they see something sacred in the communion. The Orthodox say it's a great mystery, but somehow or another, the body and blood of Jesus is present in a mystical way in the communion. Our Catholic friends say it's not a mystery at all. It literally becomes the flesh. It literally becomes the blood. We Protestants very often say, no, it simply commemorates those things. What if what he was after the entire time was to get you to partake in his attitude of fellowship of sufferings? Because his presence is with us when two or more stand together in the midst of adversity. There is a witness in covenant. There is a witness that says we will not be separated. We've enjoyed each other's friendship in this life. And we must enjoy each other's friendship in the life to come. All the sanctity of a communion meal. It is not a cracker. It is not wine. It's the bread of His presence that says, I join Him in sufferings and I would rather die a thousand times than be deprived of His friendship for eternity. It's the same Spirit that shows up when you would have rather done any other thing to help your brother move. It's the same Spirit that shows up healed or hurt in preaches week after week. It's the same Spirit that will not leave a friend behind in Peru. The church of Jesus Christ rises to a whole nother level when we live out loyalty, perseverance in adversity, unity, And we believe the reward then is greater than any reward we could be given now. What if every time we took communion and we did it often, we were renewing the bonds of those 40 soldiers? Turn with me to Hebrews 2. This will be our last scripture. Have you ever read in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame? Have you ever read those words? It was no easier for those soldiers to give their life on the ice than it was Jesus on the cross, but they understood when they pledged their life to him, that's what they were pledging. Oh, that it would be just one glorious day, but it's not. It's death by a thousand insults. 
It's death by 10,000 disagreements. It's death by humiliation. It's death by betrayal. It's death by desertion. And every other thing that every sincere believer experiences. And do you know what? We were destined to endure all of them. That is what the fellowship of suffering is. In Hebrews 2 and the 10th verse. In bringing many sons to glory. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists. Should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He was going to bring many to glory. And how was he made perfect? Through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Is Jesus Christ your brother? Are the ones sitting on your left and right your brother? Then we stand, no matter how cold the ice is, no matter how many run for the shore, because we participate in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. That's what the communion meal is. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Your communion meal is holding up the sufferings of Christ, saying, I participate. Don't be ashamed to call me brother. I love not my life so much as to shrink back from death. I stand with the purpose of God. I stand with the community of God. I stand with my brothers in Christ. Oh, hear me, American Christians, I'm almost done. If we could learn anything, it would be about community. If you're a part of a community that is based on this idea, we don't give up on each other quickly. We certainly don't throw stones at those who are standing on the ice with us. I bet every dispute between those brothers faded in those hours. And all that was left was Christ. Are you beginning to understand the heart in which we take communion? I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. I wanted you to know the name Alagleus. Because Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call him a brother. And he was declared in the congregation of the heavenly saints. Even though he only had one Christian day and not even a whole day. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am in the children God has given me. If we are going to serve Him, we must be like Him. We have to learn to kiss those who we know are going to betray us. We have to learn to forgive those who denied us. We have to learn to exalt Christ 
above all. There is nothing that can happen to you in all of creation that is not glorious when you have these eyes. You say, how is there glory in a brother leaving the fellowship and falling away? There's glory because some stayed in the fellowship and God will replace that number. Say, how is there glory in the setback that family experienced? There's glory in it because the setback is temporary and the kingdom is eternal. You say, how is there glory in the misery that we face? The world will see that we are crowned in our suffering with them. That's where the glory is. In that heart, we can stand to our feet and sing everything is glorious in the midst of tribulation. My heart doesn't need to waver in the face of a renegade mayor or a president. In fact, if all we had was the body of Christ in this room, you would have more than the soldiers had on the ice that day. So I'm going to tell you, you were without excuse. I'm through with low living. I want to encourage you to rise to the height of the crucifixion of Christ, to put down every other thing and be clothed with Him. When we take communion as a family tonight, let us sing hymns. Let us say, come hell or high water, Christ will be exalted in my life or my death. For that's what that meal means. If you stand here tonight and you have an issue with someone in this room, it's an offense to Christ. If you stand here tonight with unrepentant sin in your life, it's an offense to Christ. But if you cast down your sin, cast down your offense, then everything, even your sin, becomes glorious. Y'all please stand to your feet.